Howdy, fans! You're listening to Lightning Power Play Live. Left circle, Stamkos. Holds, holds, shoots, scores! Stamkos! Again! The latest lightning news, interviews, and more. Wow. With your host, Greg Linelli. That's great, folks. That's great right there. On Lightning Power Play. All right, all right. Glad you're with us here on Lightning Power Play Live. The Tampa Bay Lightning continue to dominate the National Hockey League. This is now the second consecutive year. They are tearing up the league. What does it mean long term and specifically in the playoffs? I don't know, but as we've been saying all along, this team does have a different feel to it. They win their 11th game in a row last night against the good Colorado team. Nikita Kucherov scoring the winner in OT on a breakaway. How impressed were you by Kucherov and his breakaway speed getting by Nathan McKinnon, who some would say might be the fastest player in the NHL? Kucherov's a dynamic player, and last night he showed us why one more time. Kudos to Cameron Gauntz getting a goal against his former team. Gauntz is a guy who's been basically a career minor league player, but he's been given an opportunity to play with the Lightning, and so far through two games, he's got two points. I don't know if Gantz's play prevents Julian Brisois from making a move depth-wise on the back end. My sense is if he can get another NHL defenseman who is more suited to play as a 7th or 8th D-man, then he makes that move. But Cameron Gantz, I think, has shown at least for a game or two, he could come in and hold down the fort. Of course, when Victor Hedman is playing close to 30 minutes, does it even matter? Hedman right now is playing like the best defenseman in the league. And when you take a look at how many minutes he's averaging, really over the last five games or so, it is approaching 30. You know, for the longest time, or at least early on in Hedman's career, Tampa Bay certainly, I don't want to say babied him in terms of how many minutes they would give him, but he wasn't playing nearly as much. But now they're letting the stallion out of the barn, and Hedman is really playing at a very high level. Next to Andre Vasilevsky, I think you can make the strong case that Victor Hedman is the team's most valuable player. At Greg Vanelli on Twitter, we've got a big show planned for you tonight here on the show. Scott Burnside coming up from The Athletic in our next segment to talk about the Blake Coleman trade. And does Tampa Bay need to do anything else at the trade deadline? Patrick Williams from NHL.com and Elite Prospects will join us as well. Uh, we will talk about the minor leagues and some of the prospects that have been going back via trades. Is he surprised at the return that some teams are getting when it comes to the trades that are being made? We've also got a poll question. Check me out on Twitter, at Greg Manelli. Quick poll question tonight. Are you okay with Blake Coleman possibly being the only trade that Tampa Bay makes? So far, 60% of you said Coleman was enough. 35% of you said need another defenseman, and 5% said other. I'm assuming either you don't care or you think they should make a bigger trade than Coleman. My sense is that if Julian Breezewa can bring in another depth piece on the back end, he'll do it, but I don't think he's going to give up a ton to do it. I think Blake Coleman certainly satisfies his need. And I think when you take a look at the trade market right now, it clearly is in the seller's hands. That being said, kudos to the Lightning organization for building up all these assets over the years. 
You need to use them to acquire talent in addition to helping your own team if they eventually make it to the NHL. That's what we've seen from Mitchell Stevens. That was what we've seen from Carter Verhage. But if you can roll those assets over and send it to another team to get a player like a Blake Coleman for this year and next at an affordable rate and you win a Stanley Cup, then in some ways Nolan Foote should get a Stanley Cup ring as well. At Greg Linelli on Twitter, if you want to get in touch with me, you certainly can. What did you make of the win last night? Tampa Bay gets another one. Curtis McElhaney gets the win in Nets. I thought he was fantastic. And boy, oh boy, the officiating again is shaky. You know, on my show here, I don't talk much about the officiating because I think it's a moot point. But let me tell you something right now. When you have the officiating as shaky as it was last night and Colorado setting picks in overtime that's affecting the outcome of the game, possibly, you've got to do better. You've got to call a penalty when it's a penalty and you can't swallow your whistle. And as Dave Mishkin said last night, What was going on there with the officials? After the Kucherov goal, when they couldn't see that the puck clearly went in the net, they had a rough night, and you hope they get better. All right, Scott Burnside coming up from The Athletic. Glad you're with us here on a Tuesday on Lightning Power Play. You're listening to Lightning Power Play Live. Get a Kucherov left circle, cross ice Johnson, right circle. Jump score! Oh, what a snipe! The latest news, interviews, and more with your host, Greg Lanelli. He would not be denied! On Lightning Power Play. All right, Lightning Power Play Live continues as we break down Tampa Bay's impressive win over Colorado last night in OT. Nikita Kucherov getting the game winner. And of course, Tampa Bay franchise record 11 wins in a row. They've been the best team for the last couple of months in the National Hockey League. What does it all mean moving forward? Here to talk about that question and so much more. He's a national hockey writer for The Athletic. Let's welcome back to Lightning Power Play Live, Scott Burnside. Scott, first off, great to be with you again. And boy, I think what the last couple of trades have shown us is that if you have the assets and are willing to overpay just a bit, you can get the player you want. Tampa Bay is no exception. Is that how you're seeing things a week before the trade deadline? Yeah, I don't think there's any question that you know, when you look at, uh, you know, whether it's Jason Zucker going to Pittsburgh or um, Blake Coleman, of course, going to Tampa, <clears throat> and then a trade that happened uh, uh, Monday evening with Tyler Toffoli going within the Pacific Division to the Vancouver Canucks. Um, in all those cases, uh, those, there, was, there were premiums paid for those players. Now, Toffoli's the only straight rental uh, of that three um the group of three forwards, all of them, I think it's fair to say potentially impactful players, certainly players who can play anywhere in the top nine and and generally speaking considered top six uh, wingers in in, in all three cases. So um, I think when you look at the, again, now the pressure starts to mount on teams, you know, whether it's the Boston Bruins who are in a pitched battle with Tampa now for first place in the Atlantic division. Um, Maybe it's a team like Philadelphia. Maybe it's certainly the Colorado Avalanche now in a bit of a predicament um, having lost then during that game last night for, I know what Jared Bednar, the head coach there is talking weeks and weeks. So um, pressure on the Avs then for players like a Chris Kreider or a JG Pajot in Ottawa, um, and certainly it, it does up the ante as you move forward. And it does appear that even though, 
you know, we haven't really touched on the defense. There are five or six teams looking to add on the blue line, and there are some players available. You know, Sammy Vatanen uh, is available, uh, I think, in, in New Jersey. Brendan Dillon, of course, in San Jose. Uh, but there are a bunch of teams looking to acquire on the blue line. And, and I was talking to a GM of one of those teams not long ago, and it basically, you know, the prices is, is skyrocketed, and it's not likely to come down between now and February 24th because it's, um, you know, the matter of supply and demand. And I think you're, it's maybe a bit surprising because, you know, GMs talk about being cautious, and they talk about, you know, wanting to hold on to their assets. But I think what you're seeing are teams – you know, in terms of Tampa and uh, Vancouver, I don't think Vancouver is in the same category as Tampa in terms of could you win a Stanley Cup. But listen, that's the team that um, has missed the playoffs for four or five years in a row. Um, they've got a chance to to not only get in in the Pacific, but win the division. So it's calculated risk, uh, but it, it certainly shows that GMs aren't afraid to say, you know what, I see a window here for us, and I am going to, uh, I'm going to move some valuable assets to see if I can, uh, you know, fortify our position in terms of making a long run. Well, Scott, you bring up an interesting point. I was going to ask you, what do you make of the high asking prices by teams that are selling? It feels like, especially over the last couple of years, the teams are really coveting draft picks and prospects more so than I can remember. Is that a direct result of the salary cap and building from within? rather than free agency? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this, you know, it's a great, you know, I mean, the, the, the assets are, are just that, whether they're draft picks or whether they're prospects. And we've seen some, some big name prospects go in the last few days or some uh, conditional or uh, straight out first round picks. I mean, there are a lot of assets that are on the move, but to me, I, that's why you have, I think that you can over, you know, the pendulum, does tend to swing back and forth in the National Hockey League. And, you know, for years, uh, I look at the Winnipeg Jets. They they kept and they coveted all their draft picks, tried to develop and uh, draft well and develop internally. Um, you know, Winnipeg's a hard place in some ways to attract free agents to. So you have to do a good job if you're the Winnipeg Jets. But the, Kevin Day off the last couple of years has, has gone out and added significant pieces at the last two trade deadlines, two years ago with Paul Stastny, last year with Kevin Hayes, first-round picks involved in both those deals. So you have to pick your time. And, and if you've done a good job of drafting and developing, and I think I think of what uh, Julian Brisbane, and, of course, Steve Eiserman before that, I mean, the, the, the Bolts are, are one of the, the poster teams in the NHL for – being able to identify and develop top-end talent. And it's helped in players coming in and filling in roles within the franchise, but it's also helped in going out and bringing in assets that, in theory, should help this team win a Stanley Cup, and whether it's a Ryan McDonough, and certainly within the last few days, a guy like Blake Coleman. Um, and yeah, that salary cap always plays a factor in this. I mean, Blake Coleman's uh, under contract for one more year at $1.8 million. It's, it's an absolute bargain and he's going to get paid and whether it's paid in Tampa as an extension or if he hits free agency um, you know a year from now he will get paid but that's a tremendous asset for Julian Brisebois to have brought in because he helps so much on the ice but he's also a guy that really fits in with a team with a lot of high-end talent that needs to be paid and is being paid it's really a perfect fit for him so it is 
it's a juggling act. I'm glad I don't. Uh, that's. I'm glad I don't have to be responsible for trying to manage putting a uh, Stanley Cup product on the ice and keeping it all within the salary cap. But that's. Uh, I guess that's why those guys get paid the big bucks. That's right. Scott Burnside from the Athletic joins us here on Lightning Power Play Live. Let's go to Coleman right now. And as you alluded to. Uh, a really good player. And it seems, Scott, at age 28, he's a player that's continuing to get better. He can skate. He plays a gritty game. He can score. We'll find out shortly. But this does seem like a good fit for Coleman and the Lightning, doesn't it? Oh, there's no question. And I think, you know, again, we go back to history, and it's been, you know, it's a story well told. A year ago, Julian Brisois really standing pat with a team that was on a record, uh, you know, 62 win pace. So you could you certainly justify not tinkering with that lineup. I think there were some questions down the stretch about whether they were a team that had enough sand, that they would play a hard enough game in the playoffs um, to be successful. And at the end of the day, we all know that, you know, the, the Lightning's playoff season landed last four games and against a very tough, hardworking, gritty Columbus team. Um, and I think that you can draw a line from A to B, you know, Patrick Maroon coming aboard after winning, a cup in St. Louis in the off season, big body, very difficult to move, not afraid of, of going into the hard areas. You know, Blake Coleman's a very different player. And, and I think he's a perfect complement um, for John Cooper and for this lineup, because he can do a lot of different things. He can take draws if you need him to. Um, he is not afraid. He is a fearless player. Now he's not a, a huge physical specimen, uh, but he plays big, uh, and I know you use that cliche, but he plays bigger than his size. And that is the kind of player, and I think you look at, you know, you look at Columbus. They had a, a number of those kinds of players, players who were disruptors, who were able to get to pucks, who were able to win puck battles and then make plays after, uh, you know, capitalizing on turnovers. And uh, I just think Blake Coleman is, is really going to be a nice fit for this Tampa Bay Lightning team. And I think it... This team doesn't need any more incentive, but I think that these kinds of moves sometimes send a message to a locker room that says, "Listen, we are like we're we are in this to win this." It should be self-evident for a team like Tampa after what happened. But I think adding Blake Coleman shows that management isn't afraid. Um, you know, it was a, it was a good, it, it was a significant return that the New Jersey that New Jersey Devils received for Blake Coleman's services. Um, but I think it's absolutely worth it, and and we're going to find out because the first round of this playoff year, I think, is going to be absolutely pivotal to this Tampa Bay team. We're going to have to see how they respond to adversity. We're, have, we're going to have to see how they are, you know, where their mindset is at. Um, given what happened last year, I, I think it's going to be one of the great stories of this playoff year, and we'll, we'll find out whether it's a story that runs from early April to early June or not. For sure. I think that's what everybody here in Tampa, no doubt, wants to see. A couple more questions on Tampa, Scott, uh, before we move on maybe to some Eastern Conference teams. I think you can make a case that Tampa Bay didn't need to do anything to the roster because of how good they've looked over the last couple of months. But that being said, Scott, do you feel like they need to bring in another piece on the back end, or are you comfortable with who they have on defense? Yeah, you know what? I'm not certainly privy to the, you know the whole um, health status uh, of Ryan McDonough and John Ruda, but certainly what I read and, and what I'm, I've heard is that the expectation is that both those players will be back and ready to go for the playoffs. So to me, that is. Uh, um, you know, that would allay many of the concerns that I would have uh, from the outside looking at this lineup. And, and I like the idea that, 
that it has uh, you know maybe forced some players into different roles and I think it was Sergachev who you know my sense has really responded to some uh, added responsibility um, with the injuries to both those players and certainly with Ryan McDonough. Uh, I, I think those things are healthy really to see where your young players are at in terms of their development and not simply turning around and saying well let's go and grab this player. And, uh, you know, again, if, if Julian Breesbaugh does add a depth piece and whether it's a Brendan Dillon from San Jose or whatever that piece might be, um, I, you can never have enough defense going into the playoffs. But I also think as long as there, there is a uh, relative certainty that you're going to be a healthy team on the back end um, moving forward, that is that you're not getting bad news about the recovery time for those players. and You don't have any new injuries on the back end between now and next Monday. Um, uh, my, my sense is that this is the, this is a team that we'll see in the playoffs. Um, and I think that, um, I think really the Coleman ad is, is the key one for me. And you do look at how well this team, right, is playing in terms of their 11-game winning streak and surging to within a point or two of Boston at the top of the Atlantic. I, I just think you really want to walk a, a very fine line between, yes, what is the proper ad, what is too much, though, in terms of then integrating new bodies into a system, um, what people don't you know, sometimes forget, unless it is an injury situation where a guy isn't going to be back for a long time, is that then uh, John Cooper has to find room for these additional players. It means that some other players might be uh, healthy scratches or their role might be diminished. And that then, you know, there's a potential ripple effect when you, if you had too much, I think, um, at the trade deadline. So that's a, that's a narrow line. And I know that uh, Julian Brisois has studied this very closely. He understands that there is you know, that there is a yin and yang to making ads at the trade deadline. It's not just a fantasy team uh, and adding, you know, a bunch of bodies and, and expecting it to to improve your team. That sometimes um, there is a, there's a price to pay for it in terms of team chemistry and, and how things work on the ice. So um, long-winded answer, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if um, that we have seen Julian Breesbaugh do what he will do before February 24th. Scott, Tampa Bay has the second best record in the league right now. Last year, of course, they set records and had the best record. This season, though, has a different feel, doesn't it? I don't know what the end game will be for this team, but just with the eye test, they do look better, don't they? Well, yes. And I think, you know, part of it is, you know, the the kind of adversity this team went through uh, early in this season. And I think a lot of it has to do with coming to grips with what happened last year. And this team looked a little bit whether aimless is the right word, looked like a team that was still trying to figure things out, looked like a team in some ways, I think through the first 20 games or so, that was still really licking its wounds from being embarrassed as they were in the first round at the hands of the Columbus Blue Jackets. And, and I, you know, it's easy to say now that this is a team where we expected they would be and frankly where they were a year ago in terms of um, being at the top of most people's lists as a uh, as a trade deadline error um, uh, period of time, favorite to win a Stanley Cup, um, but I think that's part of the learning process, and I think that's been a, it's probably been in that room uh, a healthy process to go through. Now, of course, it's all meaningless if you get to April sixth or seventh and you can't 
bring your game to another level. I talked to a coach before the playoffs last year, and he said this to me about Tampa. He said, listen, this is, they're the best team in the NHL. Everyone knows that. He said, unless they can find a way to play better than they are now, they will not going, they're not going to have success. And he was right on. And of course it happened in a much shorter period of time than anyone could have imagined, but that's the real test. And, and my sense of that team is they understand that too. And they will be able to find a new level come April. And, um, you know, but that's, it's, it, this is going to be a seminal moment for this franchise, for John Cooper, for Steven Stamkos and Victor Hedman and the rest of that team, Andre Vasilevsky, they all have so much to prove this spring. It's going to be a challenge not to be sort of consumed by that element of it and just, you know, find a way to play better than they did in game 82 when the first round of the playoffs starts. Scott, Victor Hedman has been playing some big minutes of late. Against Philly, he hit 32. Now, some of that was circumstance, but the more he's on the ice, the better for Tampa. And I'm wondering, next to Andre Vasilevsky, is he the player Tampa Bay can ill afford to lose? He's making the case against Scott that he is the best D-man in the league. Yeah, it's interesting. I've been thinking about the whole Norris Trophy um, process <clears throat> as a voter with the PHWA. And for so much of this season, we have, at least in my mind, we've looked at John Carlson and his he continues to be an explosive offensive force for the Washington Capitals. You know, the Caps have really hit a bit of a wall, though, and maybe it's part of the Ovechkin chase of 700 goals, And but they're a little bit off the rails right now. And so I think it has opened the door for a discussion about, you know, whether it's a guy like Roman Yossi in Nashville, if the Preds can get their... Uh, find their way back into the playoffs after a disappointing season there. And certainly we have seen Victor Hedman return. I don't know whether return is the right word, but certainly once again emerge in terms of the hockey consciousness as one of the very best defensemen in the world. And he is going to be in the discussion for the Norris Trophy as well. He should. And, you know, to your question, yes, I, I don't think there's any doubt given the way this game is played and given how important he is to all elements of the Tampa Bay Lightning, I would say he might even be more important than Vasilevsky in terms of if you if you lost Victor Hedman, that would dramatically change how you would view this team's fortunes. And he, he, there's a guy who understands as well as anyone in that room um, the opportunity that is in front of them and the opportunity that was squandered last year. So I, I'm, uh, it'll be interesting to see how the voting breaks down, uh, but I'll be a bit surprised, maybe even more than a little bit surprised, if he's not in the final ballot once more for the Norris Trophy. Yeah, I mean, he's basically taken Jan Rutza and made him a top four defenseman uh, when Rutza was healthy, which is you know pretty incredible. Kudos to Rutza, but also I think it probably speaks to how good uh, Victor Hedman is Scott Burnside from the Athletic joining us here on Lightning Power Play Live. A couple more questions for Scott here. Um, with Tampa making a move, Scott, and the Penguins getting Zucker, does Boston do something at or before the deadline? And if so, does it come down to another player who can fill the net? You know, yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that there is significant pressure on the Boston Bruins right now. And, you know, this is a team. You know, goes to Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Final last year. <clears throat> They're an elite team, and they've been an elite team all season. Um, a little bit like Washington, though they they have meandered a little bit, and they have allowed an enormous lead in the Atlantic Division to to evaporate. To you know, as you and I are chatting here, it's one point uh, with 22 games left for both Boston and Tampa. It's a one point lead, um, but they are 
you know, they're, they're a bona fide Stanley Cup contender. And I think if you had to look, you know, was it somebody to play the right side with David Krejci, uh, somewhere, a winger who could move up and down the top nine, but certainly possibly fill a top six uh, winger's role. I think a lot of people look at a guy like Chris Kreider, um, who is uh, on an expiring contract. For my money, he has been, certainly with the early trade of Taylor Hall, Chris Kreider has been the best available uh, winger in terms of the kind of um, dramatic impact he could make on a contending team. Uh, the asking price is going to be enormous, uh, as we talked about earlier. Um, if not, is it a is it a player like Emilio Kovalchuk? The Bruins had an uh, interest in him when he uh, before he signed in Los Angeles. Certainly, he would not cost nearly as much as a Chris Kreider, um, but uh, comes with probably a lot more questions in terms of how he might fit into. Uh, Bruce Cassidy's lineup there, but I do believe that the Bruins do have to add up front. I think that's um, again, it's if you want to use the arms race um, um, comparison. I, I think when you look around the Eastern Conference, um, it behooves the Bruins to try and add a little more pop, give uh, some more options in terms of power play, in terms of uh, you know that making sure that that is. Um, not just a one-line team uh, with uh, Pasternak, Marchand, and, and Bergeron, that having uh, the, the ability to roll out two or three dangerous offensive units is going to be critical, I think, to emerging from the Eastern Conference. Scott, two more questions for you. Scott Burnside from The Athletic joining us here on Lightning Power Play Live. What do you make of the Penguins? They keep winning even with all of their injuries. You wonder how much better they'll be once they get everybody healthy, although... You certainly can't count on that. Malkin, Crosby, Latang, Murray, Jari, all are kind of leading the way. Does Jim Rutherford make another move, Scott, to make sure he's covered heading into the playoffs? Yeah, I would uh, never say never with Jim Rutherford, which is why he's a Hall of Fame general manager, a three-time Stanley Cup uh, team builder. So uh, my guess is, you know, barring you know, another injury between now and Monday that might force his hand. I would maybe a little, if there's a way to add, uh, you know, low-risk defensive depth, um, I still think that there are some questions about that blue line. Um, And uh, with, uh, um, you know, they're still sorting through, you know, what the the, um, injury situation is on the blue line. Um, so that'll be, you know, that'll be interesting, I think, to see what happens, um, you know, between now and, and Monday, but I, I'd be surprised. I think the Jason Zucker deal was, was the important one, adding a top six winger, someone who could play either for Crosby or Malkin. Um, we know that Jake Gensel probably isn't going to be back until the uh, conference final level, but I'll tell you this, this is, uh, you know, I watched uh, all of their first round series against the Islanders last year. They were embarrassed. They were a team that looked aimless. They looked like they could not figure out how to play the way that Mike Sullivan wanted them to play. Um, and, of course, the big move in the offseason, Phil Kessel going to Arizona. And even throughout all these injuries, as, as we talked about, including a long stretch without Sidney Crosby, you know, Chris Letang has been injured. Um, this is a team that really has played so well for Mike Sullivan. I, I have to think that 
um, you know, pending where Columbus ends up. But Mike Sullivan has to be be at the top of my Jack Adams list right now. Uh, and they are going to be a handful. They're also, they're a little bit like the Lightning. They have crawled uh, from a large deficit to within one point of the Washington Capitals now on top of the Metropolitan Division with a couple games in hand. So they are in a position where they may actually win that division. And uh, I just think they are going to be a handful come playoff time. It'll be fascinating to see what they do with their goaltending. Uh, as you mis- mentioned, Tristan Jari has been a revelation in that. But uh, you, Matt Murray is the two-time Stanley Cup champion. So how do you, you know, how do you deploy those goaltenders? But it, they look like a much more dangerous team than a year ago. Uh, and they, uh, they are definitely back in the Stanley Cup hunt for sure. Scott, last question for you. Do you see things picking up as we get closer to the deadline? And who are a couple of names that are likely to be dealt that uh, we haven't talked about so far in this interview? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I certainly, it's been interesting because, you know, the Devils made two moves on Sunday evening. We know that Jim Rutherford, who often likes to buy early, uh, within uh, a week or so ago on Jason Zucker. Um, I think there is a lot of pressure. You know, I look at a team like the Calgary Flames. They are, they would very much like to add up front. Um, I think the Rangers, you know, the question is, it sounds like Chris Kreider, you know, there is, hasn't been a lot of traction in, in terms of potentially talking about an extension there. I think he will be on the move. Uh, I'm curious about team, you know, a team like the Minnesota Wild. They have a couple of players uh, under contra- contract on the blue line, whose names have figured prominently, both Jonas Brodin and Matt Dumba, uh, highly coveted players because they have term left and because they're both skilled players. Matt Dumba certainly has a lot of offenses upside, even though he's had an off year this year with the Wild. But Bill Guerin, you know, made a big move in, in trading Jason Zucker. He fired Bruce Boudreaux at a time when many people felt that he would be able to coach out the, the rest of the regular season. Uh, but those are two guys I'm curious to see if they're if they're potentially on the move. And Montreal Canadiens, Mark Bergerman has two guys in a similar position with term left, Thomas Tatar uh, up front, and Jeff Petrie, who might it turn out to be if he is in fact on the marketplace with one more year left on his deal might be the most coveted defenseman who could be moved at the trade deadline. The cost would be enormous for both those players, given what we talked about earlier. Uh, but I'm curious to see uh, because those are the kinds of players that GMs don't mind paying assets for because they are still under control. Um, so if you're a team looking to acquire say Tatar or Petrie, basically you're looking at two playoff runs, before they hit free agency, but uh, it will it will take a lot, I would think, to pry any of those four players out of those two teams. Scott, I know it's a busy time of the year for you. We enjoy reading your work at The Athletic. Thank you so much for coming on, and uh, maybe we'll do it again as we get a little closer to the playoffs. Sure, absolutely, anytime. All right, there he goes, Scott Burnside from The Athletic. Folks, there is no better place to get some hockey talk and really good guests than on Lightning Power Play and uh, Scott Burnside bringing it as he typically does. Patrick Williams, speaking of bringing it, joins us next. We'll talk a little Syracuse. We'll talk about some of these prospects that have been dealt and Zach Bogosian from the Sabres doesn't want to report to their minor league affiliate and now he's suspended. What does that mean for him? We'll discuss that with Patrick when we return on Lightning Power Play. You're listening to Lightning Power Play Live. Shot taken, Morgan! What a save by Vasilevsky! No rebound! The latest news, interviews, and more. No. With your host, 
Greg Lanelli. Really? On Lightning Power Play. All right, Lightning Power Play Live continues here on a Tuesday. We've been recapping Tampa Bay's impressive win over Colorado last night in OT. Franchise record 11th win in a row, only one point behind Boston for the best record in the league. Forget about just the Atlantic Division or the Eastern Conference. Pretty impressive stuff by the Lightning. Of course, Blake Coleman recently traded to Tampa Bay. Looks like he'll play Thursday. We're going to get into all of this, what it means for Tampa Bay the prospects they had to give up, the prospects that are being given up in general when it comes to the trade deadline uh, here for some teams and uh, so much more. And like we do uh, every week, we talk to our good friend, Patrick Williams, joining us via the phone line from NHL.com and Leap Prospects. Also does a podcast later in the week, which we'll touch on as well. And uh, Patrick, first off, bud, great to be with you. And boy, a lot to get to when it comes to some of the topics we want to hit. But let's first start with... A new president was announced the other day for the AHL. Uh, what does it mean for that league? What are the credentials of this person? And uh, break it down for us. Yeah, so it's Scott Helson. I think that's a name familiar to a lot of NHL fans. He was general manager of the Columbus Blue Jackets for uh, six seasons. Uh, you know, left there in 2013. And, uh, you know, so that's kind of the high point for him. Uh, he's been in player development for the Edmonton Oilers for the past, I want to say, six years after that. And, uh, you know, before all that, he's actually a lawyer by trade. He was a former player uh, in the 80s. Uh, he's 59 years old. So uh, a little bit on the older side, maybe, than uh, than some people expected, uh, just in terms of uh, Dave Andrews, the current CEO, president, is 71. And so, uh, you know, the natural thought was, you know, maybe they'll – hire somebody who's 45 but they uh, scott Housen is uh you know uh, well connected in a lot of ways so it's uh it's probably a, a i would say it's a uh, it's a solid safe choice is probably how i would describe it uh, you know he may not necessarily uh come in and do anything too radical but uh you know kind of a guy that can take the wheel and uh you know keep the car on the road and you know nothing uh you know go off track i mean Minor league hockey, the AHL, and you know, in particular, is in, in kind of a unique place right now. You know, a lot of you know businesses and industries find themselves. There's just a lot of competition out there for the entertainment dollar, um, and uh, you know, everybody's kind of feeling their way through it now, tr- just trying to figure things out, see what works, what doesn't work. Uh, you know, they've moved into some major, major markets in the last uh, you know five to ten years. Uh, just put a team in Las Vegas, uh, you know, the earlier earlier this month. So, uh, and yet you're still trying to balance things with a lot of small markets, mainly the northeastern U.S. So, um, it's a little bit of a unique position in that regard. That uh, you have a lot of different competing needs uh, of both NHL clubs and American Hockey League clubs. I mean, I do think sometimes uh, the AHL side of things gets overlooked, but you know, you need to have a a good business split plan in place there so you can keep the lights on and uh you know uh provide you know a, a good uh you know a good atmosphere to develop prospects uh and uh, if you don't have that then that, that that really sets all sorts of problems off so uh it's a it's a unique job in that regard that just uh you don't you don't necessarily just have to worry about your own league you have to also really work closely with the nhl so uh, but he's a guy with a lot of ties uh, to both sides of that equation. And, uh, you know, I think he'll be a solid pick uh, all in all. It's curious when you start talking about 
bringing in a new a new president. How does the hiring process go down? Who does the hiring? I should say. How much put input does the NHL have? Uh, they had some uh, uh, NHL general uh, Jim Neal from the Dallas Stars was on the committee. I know that. Uh, you know, it was I want to say seven or eight people on the committee, including Dave Andrews. Uh, there to kind of oversee it. Uh, the NHL certainly is is involved. Uh, you know, by de- by definition, the AHL is kind of a weird league in that sense. It's it's independent, and yet, you know, you're so closely joined at the hip with the NHL that in some ways, um, you know, on a day to day, you know, you know, practical functional level, you're, you're, you don't necessarily have 100% autonomy and independence. Uh, so uh, it's a lot of uh, learning how to get along with uh, your partner and and make it work for both sides and that that's can be a delicate uh relationship at times uh depending on you know market to market team to team so um but yeah it was a uh, seven or eight people on the committee uh, it was a four to five month uh you know uh, uh search process that they went through and uh, they settled on Halson and uh, uh unanimous vote which is you know it's Sort of almost like if you're, you know, taking a bill in Congress, you know, you make sure you have all the votes, you know, lined up ahead of time. And uh, they did. And so they they passed it. And uh, it's only going to be the third president of the league uh, since 1966. There's Dave Andrews, uh, you know, obviously right now. And then uh, Jack Butterfield, um, who's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Really interesting guy. You know, the league was down to six teams back in the 70s after NHL expansion and the World Hockey Association. And they built it all the way back up, uh, you know, to 15 or 16 when Andrews took over. And Andrews uh, doubled it in that time since. So it's been a really uh, almost a 40-year uh, process to get the league, uh, you know, on stable footing. But, uh, you know, it's it's been worth it for the league just in the sense that uh, they're the undisputed top developmental league, uh, you know, for the NHL. And that's the, that's the niche they've really tried to hammer home and carve out for themselves um, so, you know, there's, uh, there's an interesting history there, just, uh, you know, where it was, uh, taking it from kind of the slap shot era, you know, into what it is today, which is big money, uh, really top notch facilities. It's, uh, a lot of ways it's like a, kind of a mini NHL, uh, and you, you see money coming in now when you, uh, when you look at AEG and, uh, Oakview group and, and big, huge, mega arena corporations like that when they're coming into the league and uh you know putting money into the whole operation uh that tells you that uh you know times have changed this isn't kind of the mom and pop operation it used to be where uh you know kind of a you know very bare bones uh type of operation this is big money now um you know nhl teams invest so much into player development and uh, they need and they expect to have uh, top-notch facilities top-notch operations so um that's that's where the job now has really changed. I think Andrews has been interested in that sense is that he kind of operated both worlds when he took over. It was still a mom and pop lead. And then now as he leaves, it's, uh, is what it is today, which is, uh, like I said, such a different league. Well, lastly on the AHL specifically, is there anything Patrick, you think they need to, um, start to do moving forward to be a little bit more innovative in, how their league is run or operates that maybe they've really fallen behind. Yeah, well, they made uh, they made pretty good strides a couple years ago with their uh, digital streaming package. Uh, you know, before that, it really uh, had been a source of a lot of uh, consternation, I guess you would call it, both for the league and for the fan base. Um, they uh, they really revamped that entire thing uh, a 
kind of uh, stripped it down to the bones and uh, rebuilt it. So that's been a, a much, much improved situation. I mean, I think the biggest thing is you just have to get your, your product out there. You know, I personally, I understand why they don't do it, but I would, you know, put the games, you know, free of access for free of charge, uh, get your, get your product out there to people, uh, let people see it. Um, it it's top notch hockey. I mean, you, you know, I, I see people go crazy over junior hockey, and I'm thinking to myself, well, like, junior hockey, I mean, that the AHL is that on steroids. I mean, it's all the top prospects from everywhere. It's not just a uh, top junior prospect. So, uh, you know, and these guys, you know, we see this every day. One night they're in the, the AHL, the next night they're playing in the NHL. So uh, I think the quality of hockey, I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, I still hear people who think it's like, slap shot or they think it's like a beer lead i'm like no it's not these <laughs> these guys are literally half a step away from the nhl so uh i think that would be the biggest message of all just to get out there that uh yeah we do player development that's great but you know actually just the actual product is is our strongest point you know like the, this is high quality hockey this isn't uh you know uh you know this you know beer lead type of mentality so um, I think that's the thing that's they struggled in some ways to really, really drive that message home to the market. But, uh, you know, if you can, I think that would uh, really be a huge step forward for them. Patrick, we've seen some trades happen here at the NHL level and teams who have acquired talent have had to give up uh, quite a bit, whether it's draft yeah. picks, whether it's prospects. And I'm wondering, does that bode well for teams and players down in the AHL that, uh, organizations are willing to maybe hold on to their picks and develop players a little longer and not losing as much patience because um, that's the way to build teams is through the draft and player development. And are you surprised by some of the, the prospects and draft picks that have been going back and forth in some of these trades? Yeah, well, you know, start close to home. Uh, Nolan Foote uh, uh, going from the Lightning uh system in uh in the blake coleman deal i think that's uh that was more of a type of player you might see uh back then uh and uh you know maybe uh previous traits so um i i think it's just everything now is uh teams are a lot more conservative they're they play things a lot safer and uh um that's the challenge uh trying to get teams out of that mentality uh is a little difficult and, uh, you know, you don't get those huge blockbuster trades that you used to get in the past. Uh, so uh, I think that's that's the main difference now. Uh, that's, you know, teams, they kind of have their plan and they don't really like to deviate it from it very much, if at all. Uh, you know, even if they are, you know, on that brink of a, of a playoff race. And I think some of that mentality is simply just because of so much parity. They're like, well, you know, we're already in the race anyway with what we have. So. Uh, let's take our chances with that rather than, uh, you know, moving a top prospect out. So it's just, it's a different mentality. I think the cap 2005, we, we've talked about that. It's just changed everything. Um, and uh, it's not the same league. It's not the same system in really almost in any way. So um, there was obviously, I think, a learning curve there for a while. The general managers had to kind of feel their way through and uh, figure out what worked, what didn't work. But uh you know, I think they are closer now to uh, to that point, and uh, you know, so I think um, I think that's the biggest thing of all is just um, teams 
they may move a player, but it's going to have to be for a really good reason. I'm wondering, uh, are there any players down in the minors right now that you feel like would do well with a change of scenery and maybe excel um, in another organization, but for whatever reason they've stagnated right now uh, in the minors? Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, that's that's really in some ways the, the name of the league or the name of the game in the American Hockey League. Uh, players get labeled, um, they get stale. I think that's the word I hear more than anything is ah, so and so is stale. They've been in the same place for three or four years. You have the same eyes watching you on a day to day basis. Uh, that's the biggest thing of all, I think, for players. And funny you mentioned that uh, Julian Gauthier, the uh, from the Carolina Hurricanes, was going to be my answer. And I just got a, a note that he was traded today, you know, moments ago to the New York Rangers. So, you know, he's the kind of guy, he's a uh, first round pick, uh, 2016. He was, um, you know, kind of right on track. And, but, uh, I find that he got a little bit labeled uh, to some extent in Carolina as well. He's he's what he is. He's a good player. He's doing all the right things in the American Hockey League, but we're just not sure he's uh, he has what it takes, uh, you know, to really carve out a spot with the with the big team. So, you know, so he's you know he's on his way to the New York Rangers here. Totally different uh, situation, uh, and uh, here we are. Uh, so. Uh, you know, players like that really, I mean, it's, it's such a fine line, you know, between getting a shot and not getting a shot. And, you know, it's being at your best uh, when, if and when that opportunity does come. Um, and uh, also just finding the right role. Uh, and it's hard. I mean, if you're a scorer at the American Hockey League level and that's your game, that's what's gotten you to where you are up until this point. But uh, you're asked to come now into the NHL and try to play a completely different role. You're asked to play penalty kill and fourth line and, you know, be a energy guy. It's just, it's different. And I think a lot of players struggle with that. Uh, but the ones that can manage that adaptation uh, are the ones that really do end up sticking. Uh, and the, sometimes in some ways it's better to be almost a role player at the American Hockey League, a guy that can kill penalties or play third, fourth line. Uh, and then you have, a, in some ways, I think a much better chance to stick in the NHL long-term because when you do go up, uh, you're pretty much going to play the same role. So uh, I find it's the guys, the first, second, top six type guys in the, in the AHL that sometimes struggle uh, with that NHL adjustment simply because uh, for the most part, those jobs are taken in the NHL. So when you do get a call up, uh, you're usually going to a much different role. So uh, it's, it's always an interesting uh, uh, discussion to have with older players who have been through that. And now they look back. Uh, you know, sometimes with regret or just, you know, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda. And uh, you hear that a lot. Like, man, I just, you know, I wasn't at my best when that call came. I was, you know, I was, had a nagging injury or, you know, I had the flu that day or, you know, when I got that opportunity, I wasn't at my peak and I went up there and I just didn't take advantage of the opportunity. And here I am back to the minors to stay. So um, it's a it's a real fine line. And uh, guys, uh, you know, you see a lot of players not able to make that final leap uh, up to the NHL. So uh, that's one I find the most fascinating uh, aspects of this level is just uh, who makes it, and who doesn't. And, you know, sometimes the guys that you would think you know, would make it don't. And, uh, you know, I'm it's, I'm sure it's super frustrating for them. I mean, it's frustrating for me sometimes just in like, I look at them and like, this guy should be in the NHL, but uh, for one reason or another, he's not. And, uh, you know, so I can only imagine what it must feel like for them. 
And then you have a guy like Cameron Gauntz, who yeah. has played, what, under 40 games in the National Hockey League, but has been a very good AHL player, made the all-star team this year mm-hmm. at the AHL, comes up for a couple of games. He's got points in both games, played his first game this year with the Lightning at forward, then scored a goal last night from the point on defense. I always wonder what goes through a guy like Cameron Gauntz's head getting an opportunity to play, kind of a journeyman in terms of uh, where he is uh, in the National Hockey League or in the eyes of NHL scouts. But for a guy like this who maybe is having now some success, a little bit of success at the NHL <laughs> level, uh, does he hold out hope down the road that you know some team would be willing to make him their seventh or eighth defenseman? Or is it the reality that Gauntz is just going to be an AHL guy and a call-up to the NHL when, when needed? Uh, that could be his reality. Um, I, I find I have found that players, even the ones that you would think would have pretty much uh, given up the dream, so to speak, and uh, just settled into the American Hockey League, uh, they still they all think they're a phone call away, and in a lot of ways they are. And uh, you know, and there's just enough encouragement out there uh, for them to feel that way. They can look around, and they all pay attention to who's going up. And uh, so there's a lot of guys around the league, I'm sure, right now looking. They flip the TV on. They see Cameron Gauntz out there, and uh, they think, "Wow, I can play. Uh, I can play in that league. He's playing there, and I'm I'm as good as him." And uh, you know, so Gauntz is interesting in the sense that he was a second rounder. He was, in a lot of ways, he was you know a guy that looked uh, right on track to make the NHL, but got into kind of a situation with Colorado where uh, they were going through a transition, and you know, you have that um, uh, whole. You know, you have that whole adjustment where, you know, you fall out of favor, then they get you get moved somewhere else, but you're not really their guy. And then you, you find yourself 24, 25 on that that path now where you start bouncing team to team to team. And he did. I mean, he bounced everywhere. Um, but, you know, sometimes you land in the right place and uh, that's all you need. You just need an opportunity. You, you just need one person that that's in your corner sometimes uh, that says, Hey, I think this guy's worth a shot. And, um, you know, I think for Cameron Gons, he got it. And in some ways you're a lot better suited when you're a little bit older. I think he's 29 now. Uh, so, uh, guys like that are a little bit more, I think, accustomed to the pressure, uh, more composed than maybe if, you know, you get that call when you're 22 and you're jittery and you're just kind of going through a bunch of nerves and you're trying to play in the NHL on top of all that. So, in some ways, uh, guys like that are, are, are much more suited, even if maybe they are kind of labeled as career minor leaguers. I mean, I find that um, true career minor leaguers um, are not as common maybe as people think, uh, simply because of that very fine line we've talked about. I mean, and, and it's hard. I mean, if you're still in the minors at 29, it's because you have value. Um, there's a lot of things working against older players in the minors, uh, simply from the mentality of, uh, it's player development. They don't want a whole lot of old guys hanging around. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, so if you're able to continue to, to continually get contracts year after year as an older player in the American Hockey League, uh, you're bringing some value to the table uh, from the NHL team's perspective. So guys like him, uh, you know, I think you're, you're a minor league player uh, until you're not. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's doing, like you said, everything that you could ask him to do and, and really coming in I'm with a top team in the lead, right? So this is not just him. 
uh, filling a spot on a, on a bottom dweller. This is uh, this is the Tampa Bay Lightning we're talking about, and uh, you know he's coming in. He's just running with that opportunity. Patrick Williams joining us here on Lightning Power Play Live. More to come with Patrick. Hit me up on Twitter at Greg Linelli. Back after this on Lightning Power Play. You're listening to Lightning Power Play Live. Crosby, open in front, backhand shot. What a miraculous stop. The latest news, interviews, and more. Finally! With your host, Greg Lanelli. Oh, the relief on his face! On Lightning Power Play. Lightning Power Play Live rolls along. Greg Lanelli with you. We are talking to Patrick Williams from NHL.com and Elite Prospects. Hit me up on Twitter at Greg Lanelli. It's interesting watching the dynamic happening here in Tampa Bay. Verhage and Stevens have seemed to take hold of the opportunity and I think are here to stay. Whether Verhage or Stevens becomes the extra forward once Blake Coleman gets settled remains to be seen, but I don't think... Either one of them will be sent back down to Syracuse. Conversely, Matthew Joseph and Alex Volkoff are, are kind of the guys maybe on the outside looking in, particularly for Joseph. What a difference a year makes. But that's what you want, I guess, competition-wise, Patrick, in your organization. One year can be completely different than the next. It really can. Uh, you know, it's it's almost like the weather. It can change day-to-day and, and needs. That's another thing, too. Uh, and I think sometimes just... You know, like your Volkovs and your Josephs, uh, they're your real uh, young, true young prospects. A guy like Gons is, is not somebody the Lightning have invested all that much in. So, but he can fill a need right now. Uh, you know, in some ways, and I don't mean this disparaging at all because uh, I almost call them like the rental cars. You know, uh, of of hockey players. Uh, you know, when you need one, you're glad you got one, and uh, you know they can come in, they fill a need. Uh, you know. Uh, you know, at the time. So, uh, you know, it's just really depends what your role is and, and, and what you can offer. And I think players that are smart, like the Cameron Gaunts, they know what they are. They know what their their uh, attributes are and what they can offer, and, and they maximize that. So, um, you know, his if he was making a sales pitch, his sales pitch would be something like, I can come in and fill in and not screw up. And that's huge for teams. And uh, so he's, he's doing that. And... You know, to his, you know, you know, to his credit and for his benefit, he's uh, finding himself a little niche there with one of the top teams in hockey. Patrick Williams from NHL.com and Elite Prospects joins us here on Lightning Power Play Live. Then you get a guy like Zach Bogosian, who's a veteran in this league, who, at least according to Buffalo, doesn't have really any more value at the NHL level, puts him through waivers, wants him to report to their AHL affiliate, he refuses, and now it's just an ugly situation. Patrick, what happens in that uh, circumstance with the player and the organization, and what are the options? Well, um, what happens is he's, he's turning, kind of turning his nose up at you know, whatever two million dollars left to go in his salary for the season, which. I don't know about you, but I would walk to Rochester for $2 million. Uh, so if you're able to do that, I guess, you know, you're just in a different uh, headspace than most of the rest of us and even most of the rest of your peers. Um, so uh, what happened was, yeah, he had a trade demand uh, back in uh, in December. Uh, either the market was not there or the uh, the price was not right for the Buffalo Sabres. I mean, he's carrying around a $6 million uh, cap hit this year. 
uh, that's going to turn off most teams. And then his play simply just hasn't been up to par either. So um, when you uh, when you factor both of those things in, uh, that's a tough sell for the Buffalo Sabres. And, uh, you know, I, I said, like, you know, 31 teams passed on you in waivers. Uh, you know, you got to know what your your value is. It's, it means really supply and demand. Uh, there's no demand for you right now. And uh, you got to go down to the minors. You got to put your game back together. Go down there with a great attitude. Um, you you know, you can go down and uh, turn it around if you come in with the right attitude. Um, and I had someone tell me, you know, Miro Shatan a few years ago with Pittsburgh uh, sent down to the minors. Uh, he could have come down there and pouted. He was clearly too good for that for that level. Uh, but he went down, uh, took care of business, uh, was dominant, uh, earned himself a trip back to Pittsburgh and uh, ended up uh, doing pretty well for himself. So uh, really, it's about attitude and, and, and outlook. And, uh, you know, I don't think he's doing himself any favors. This hurts him a lot more than hurts the Buffalo Sabres. Now the Sabres don't have to pay him. They don't have him on the roster. He's not really their problem anymore. Uh, so. Uh, the problem now for is, is for him, you know, and it's both walking away from this money this year, $2 million. And, you know, he's a free agent, uh, to be, uh, so you're looking at, uh, trying to get your next contract at some point. Uh, you know, what's going to be your sales pitch. Hey, I, uh, I refuse to report, uh, to my minor league team last year. I mean, that's a, that's a difficult sales pitch. I mean, I don't envy his agent trying to make that. So, um, you know, I just looked at these things. I'm just like, you got to put your pride aside and and uh, kind of be honest with yourself and honest with what your game is, and 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 know that uh, you have to you have to go down there just like a young prospect does and uh, put put your game together and and hope you can do well enough to get back to the back to the uh, NHL as soon as possible. But uh, you can't do that sitting sitting at home. That's for sure. And. Uh, you know, we've seen players do that, and, you know, most times, it, you know, I'm never quite sure what the end game is. You know, is it just ego talking? Is it pride? Is it, you know, some combination? Uh, because you go home and it's like, all right, okay, fine. You go home. All right, well, see ya. And uh, you're hurting yourself a lot more than you're hurting the team. Um, you know, Rochester, frankly, doesn't need the help right now. And uh, if you're Buffalo, you don't have to pay the salary now. So you benefit in that regard. And really, if you're Bogosian, you're passing up money, you're passing up opportunity. And, uh, you know, you're 29 years old now. Um, you've had a lot of issues uh, over the years, both with injuries and performance. Um, you're you're going to make your, your job and your agent's job that much harder uh, come free agency. Lastly, a guy we've talked about, ironically, about a month ago, Zach Fercali, goaltender in the Lightning organization. We always talked about the potential there, but it seems like he doesn't want to raid around and is going to go to Europe to play some hockey. Not unusual to see that happen sometimes, Patrick. No, no, it's not. Uh, it can be a very good way to go, especially uh, especially for goalies. Um, um, if you... Uh, if you just kind of get tired of that minor league uh, lifestyle, uh, he's going over to Munich, Germany. Not a bad place to be going. Um, uh, he'll get a good opportunity there. He's he's kind of dabbled a little bit in the uh, European world, uh, playing over in the Spangler Cup for Canada. Uh, he has international experience as well as a junior player. So uh, not altogether unfamiliar for him. Uh, I guess for me, the, the big surprise is he is only 24 years old, uh, and he's a goalie, so... Um, but I guess for him, he just kind of got tired of, uh, bouncing around a little bit. Uh, you played great in Orlando, uh, this season really kind of, uh, put things back together, but, uh, maybe he just, 
really just didn't see an opportunity either with the Lightning or with uh, Syracuse. So uh, you can go over there and make some good money. Uh, the schedule certainly a lot uh, lighter and easier on a player. Uh, and, you know, if it doesn't seem like the worst fate in the world. Go over there. You're 24 years old. Make some good money. See Europe. Uh, you know, I can see the appeal for a player. Uh, to uh, But like I said, I am a little bit surprised just in the sense he kind of pulled the plug on the NHL hopes, at least for the moment, uh, at a relatively young age. Patrick, when can people check out your articles and uh, your podcast? Yeah, so every uh, every Wednesday, NHL.com, I have my weekly AHL notebook, uh, you know, kind of uh, spin around the league. Uh, this week, we're looking at potential uh, trade topics uh, or, or targets, uh, you know, from players in the AHL, prospect types. Uh, and then every Friday, uh, EPRangeSide.com, uh, part of Elite Prospects, uh, I uh, do kind of a more in-depth look at the AHL. That's more for the diehard, uh, hardcore fans. Uh, and then I have my own podcast uh, with uh, David Foote from the Belleville Senators uh, around the A. We do that every week. And, uh, you know, we've had a lot of different interesting guests. We have coaches, uh, general managers, uh, media people, uh, kind of mixed bag of uh, different personalities. So so that's been fun. And just, uh, you know, and then this show every week, you know, so uh, keeps me pretty busy. Uh, it's fun to talk hockey and, uh, you know, it's uh, having a good time with it. All right, buddy. We appreciate you coming on to talk hockey. We'll do it again next week. Great. Thank you. Patrick Williams joining us there. That's going to wrap up our show tonight. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Scott Burnside from The Athletic. And you heard Patrick right there. We'll do it again tomorrow from 6 to 7. Check out the poll question we have going on, too, at Bolts Radio, talking about the lightning and whether you think they should be done uh, regarding trades coming up here in about a week. All right, everybody, have a great night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow on Lightning Power Play.